Hello, welcome to our last uh, video service that I'll be doing in front of a, an empty sanctuary. Um, next week, uh, because, next Sunday, June 7th, uh, since New Jersey Governor uh, Murphy gave his Executive Order 142 recently, uh, we'll be starting uh, having uh, drive-in services over at our Fellowship Church Ministry Center property over on Belvedere Road, 1724-1724 Belvedere Road in Phillipsburg, 08865. Uh, if you use the Android-based Google Maps and you put that address in there, that will take you uh, directly uh, there. Uh, that, that has been confirmed. If you put that address in there, that'll take you exactly where you want to go for that. That will start on Sunday, June 7th at 10 a.m. over at that property. Uh, and then we'll, every Sunday following that, we'll, we'll be uh, doing that as well until more restrictions are lifted. Uh, so we, uh, I invite you out to that. Uh, please stay in your vehicle. That, that is a requirement. You, you, it's a drive-in service. So uh, if you see, we're, we're going to have markers uh, dividing everybody up by at least six feet, probably closer to seven uh, with, the, with the parked vehicles. And that way you can have your windows open and be able to, first of all, hear anything uh, and, and be able to have the, the breezes uh, flow through uh, as the weather gets warmer. So uh, uh, June 7th, Sunday, June 7th will be our first one at 10 a.m. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing you there. Uh, so as we continue to uh, live through and go through this current uh, national and local crisis and, and dealing with everything involved with that, um, I want us to, to keep a very important truth in mind. And we, we, we've been kind of looking at this from all different angles uh, as, as we've been uh, going through these, these messages and, and video services and all that. Uh, but God remains in control. And our Heavenly Father wants us to just simply trust Him. To not have any fears, to not have any anxieties, about, especially about what's going on all around us right now during this, this current time. Uh, but to, always, to just have that simple childlike faith in him, that simple trust in him that he's going to take care of us. And a very real and main reason why we can do that is he is powerful. He is infinitely powerful. And he is more than mighty and more than able to save. Everyone needs compassion, love is never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of Savior, the hope of nature. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. Take me as my 
thank you that you've been watching over us and taking care of us. I thank you that you've brought comfort and peace where that has been needed, much, much needed. And that you've been pouring out your love, especially on those who have suffered loss during this very difficult time. Pray that you continue to be with them, continue to strengthen them, continue to breathe the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ into the forefronts of their minds and into their hearts. We thank you for that treasure and that gift. That no matter what is going on around us, no matter what craziness is going on in the world right now, one thing we know is sure and true. And that is that our Savior went to the cross and paid the price for our sins that we had no hope to pay. And then three days later rose again from the dead. And because of that, we have eternal hope. Let us always hold fast to that. We thank you for your word that describes this and so much more of who you are to us. So Lord, I pray that your word would go forth today, that our hearts would be moved and our lives would be changed. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. During local and national crises, such as the one we're currently in, there are bright spots of human generosity and, and human sacrifice. You see them all over the place. Thankfully, there are lots 
and lots of stories out there of people helping others in need, supporting our healthcare workers and first responders, and supporting businesses labeled non-essential that, that have had it temporarily shut down, and, and restaurants that are struggling. But just like those Christmas songs that ask the question, why can't we always act towards each other all year round as if it's the holiday season? Months down the road, we may be asking a very similar question. Why can't we all still treat each other like it's the coronavirus quarantine? Why can't we always be there for each other? Unfortunately, we know that human nature, while it has its bright spots sometimes, will always revert back to its selfish ways. We can't help it. We can't help it. Ever since Adam abdicated his position in his family and ate from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, now he had a knowledge of both the road all the way down goodness, where God was at the end of it, not only did he have that knowledge, now he had the knowledge that, oh, there's this other thing now called evil. And I now have the opportunity to go as far down that road as I would like. So is there hope? Is our hope, ironically, only during a national or local crisis when people all band together? Is that our only hope? Jesus' disciples were human just like us. They weren't superhumans. They weren't super spiritual people. We see that time and time again in the scriptures. Jesus' disciples were human just like us. Like many of us during this difficult time, their focus was only on what was in front of them, what was immediately happening all right around them and right in front of them. That's what their focus was uh, most of the time. See, we're very easily focused on what's going on immediately around us and right in front of us during this quarantine time because it's right in our faces. It can't be helped. And every time we look at the news, right, different politicians are once again arguing over how to best reopen the states and the country. For the disciples, all they saw was Jesus' miracles and the crowds following after him and national messianic fervor getting higher and higher with each passing day. Like we've been talking about recently, Jesus has revealed to them quite clearly that there would be a day coming very soon when he would suffer terrible things at the hands of those who were supposed to be the righteous religious leaders. And then, as if that wasn't enough, he would be killed by those same leaders. He also had been including in all of this the fact that he would rise again from the dead three days later. But none of that was in the disciples' minds whatsoever. None. They just kept it. Let's just keep shoving that aside, sweeping that under the rug. We don't want to think about that. We want to only focus on what is cool, what's going on all around us right now, things to be excited about. They were still so caught up in what was going on around them in their culture and in their country. Now, does that sound familiar to you? Especially what's going on right now, just being focused on what was going on around us in our culture and in our country. 
What was going on all around the disciples in their culture and country was this. Everyone knew Jesus was their long-awaited Messiah. Everyone knew that. That's why there were giant crowds following after him. They knew that Jesus was their long-awaited Messiah and that the kingdom of God was finally going to be ushered in by him. And this is what they thought. All the prophecies in the Jewish Bible, including all the abundance and specifically all the freedom from foreign oppression, i.e. the Romans, were finally going to come to pass. It was all finally happening. Jump on the bandwagon. This is it, guys. As such, as Jesus was preaching about what was important to the kingdom of God, what were his disciples focused on? It's, it's incredibly sad. What they were focused on was what perks they were going to enjoy in the newly established earthly kingdom when Jesus would finally get around to founding it. They thought, hey, we gave up everything to follow him. The least he could do is to give us some pretty sweet positions in this new kingdom he keeps talking about, and he owes it to us. That's pretty much the summation of human nature, isn't it? Right there. That's pretty much the summation of human nature. Self-centered ambition. It's all too familiar. We pick up in Matthew 18, 1, and we read, About that time the disciples came to Jesus, and they said, they asked, Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Think about the audacity these guys had even bringing up that question. Who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Which one of us is it going to be? Boy, they didn't beat around the bush at all, did they? No, they did not. No subtlety here. Not only did they want to know which positions each of them were going to get, they wanted to know who was going to get the greatest positions. Just tell us now, Jesus. Let's just rip the band-aid off and get it all over with. Then we'll know what our role is, what our place is here. Even the guys who spent all this time hanging around Jesus and listening to every word he had been saying had fallen prey to what just came to them naturally in their human nature. Even in thinking about the pure kingdom of God, the pure kingdom of God, these guys had snuck in that self-centered ambition. They snuck it in there. Jesus' response, however, I'm 100% sure, took all of them completely off guard. Instead of divulging any of that information or even rebuking them outright for their boneheaded question, he responds this way. We read in Matthew 18, 2 through 3, Jesus called a little child to him, and put the child among them, put it in the middle of where they were standing. And then he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Who? You will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Now to us, we might wonder, what in the world is Jesus getting at here? But to the, the disciples and anyone looking on, 
Since Jesus and his disciples are obviously in some kind of public area right now, like the middle of Capernaum or something, this was like a smack in the face or a bucket of cold water thrown in their faces. See, according to one biblical scholar, the ancient world did not see kids the way we do today. Today, our kids are our treasure, right? We would do anything for our kids. And most holidays in America are catered to children now. There's a whole market for cheesy kids' Valentine's cards for them to give to each other in their classrooms. A major aspect of the Easter holiday is the Easter egg hunt for the kids. The patriotic summer holidays are all about family barbecues and, and kids' games and all that. Halloween has completely changed into a mainstream time for kids to dress up and get candy. And Christmas, in the secular world, is all about Santa bringing presents to kids all around the world. It's not like people back then didn't love and care for their children, but back then, kids in general did not enjoy the same blessing of cultural elevation that kids in the modern era do now. Children back then were seen as one of the lowest cultural statuses in that society. Now, that's completely foreign to us today, isn't it? But that's how it was back then. So the disciples jockeying for better positions in Jesus' kingdom, when Jesus instead tells them that they have to humble themselves to be like the lowest societal position, that would have been a rude awakening for them. Rude. Again, like somebody threw a bucket of cold water in their face. That's what Jesus is driving at when he says next in Matthew 18, 4. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in that kingdom of heaven. That was one of Jesus' points in this illustration. In a twist of irony, the disciples had to forsake any kind of earthly or selfish human ambition if they wanted any, any, even the teensiest part, any part in Jesus' coming kingdom. That went exactly against everything in human society, not just in the disciples' minds, everything in human society. The Romans rewarded those with human ambition. You kept working your way up through the Roman army, and once you became a general, if you, if you won a, a, a huge war, you got a, a, a civic leader position. The Romans rewarded those with human ambition. The Pharisees in Jewish culture were obviously all about human power, since that's most of what Jesus was constantly chastising them for. So this was radical, what Jesus did here. Humility is what got you higher positions in the kingdom of God. The more genuinely humble you were, the greater position you would get. You know what that does? It actually removes the temptation for selfish ambition because you are simply focused on putting others ahead of yourself. That's all you're thinking about. And that's what Jesus' ministry was all about. Humble love. 
In fact, he fully confirmed that ultimately when he willingly went to the cross. But this is also what Jesus was driving at when he, when he told his disciples, unless you turn from your sins, or another translation says, or are converted and become like children, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you do these things, you won't even enter the kingdom of heaven, much less have any sort of cool position in it. The first part is the same idea as repentance. It means to completely change course. You're going one way, you completely turn around and start going the other way. It completely change course. It means to turn around, or in a military sense, to about face. This isn't about turning completely, this isn't just about turning around completely from selfish ambition. This is a change of course of an entire life. It's a complete change of mind and of the way you look at things. That's also why Jesus used a child to illustrate this. See, we as adults, we overthink everything. I am not just speaking into a vacuum here. I'm speaking to an empty sanctuary, but I'm not speaking into a uh, vacuum here. We adults overthink everything. And thus, what does that mean? We then overworry about everything. We worry about everything. When we're adults, it's not enough for Jesus to say over and over and over again, don't worry, don't be afraid. We will still, no matter what it is, always retort with, yeah, but this and this and this. So I'm still going to worry and fear. When we were kids, it was enough for a good earthly parent to hold us and say, it's okay. Everything is going to be all right. That was enough for us. We simply believed them, and our entire state of mind and body changed at that moment. We relaxed. We were able to fall back asleep, and we knew everything was going to be okay. We knew it. It wasn't because we saw it or even saw any proof of it. We were told by a trusted adult that we were okay, so we knew we were okay. And the things were going to be okay. But the worldly way of looking at everything means to complicate everything. Equal sign. Complicate everything. In the world's eyes, it's not enough to just accept Jesus' gift of salvation and trusting him as our Savior and King. That can't be enough. That's too simple. You have to work for it. You have to do enough good things to hopefully outweigh the bad. You have to send enough positive energy into the universe. You have to follow enough rules. You have to pray the required number of times a day. You have to follow strict dietary rules. You have to pray uh, uh, the, the required amount of days. Or the complete opposite... You should have as little standards as possible and just accept everyone's beliefs 
as true and right. Or you let doubt dictate everything you think. Why should I trust the Bible is true? Why should I trust that the Bible is true? Why should I believe, why should I trust the Bible as God's word? Why should I take anything in it at face value and, and make it apply, apply it to my life? Make it the way I live my life? Why should I even believe that Jesus even ever existed or that God even exists? The world complicates everything. But here's the thing. There is always, always, always a perfectly reasonable explanation for any seeming contradictions or failures in the Bible. And remember, Paul told the church in Corinth that we went over in 1 Corinthians not too long ago. God purposely designed the way to him, the way to salvation, to be uh, uh, without needing to prove it, without uh, need, coming to it through human intelligence. It has to come, you have to come to it with a childlike faith. God purposely designed it that way. So don't be surprised when the most brilliant minds of the world say God doesn't exist because God purposely designed it that you could only come to it through the opening of your spiritual eyes. You have to have a childlike faith. And we all know we experience God's presence and provision and grace on a daily basis. We all know that. We all see that. There's no denying that. You will, you'll have to dig some to find some answers, but guess what? That's the beauty of it. It's not, you don't just get spoon-fed it. You have to dig for it. You have to work for it. God wants us to spend the rest of our lives in seeking him and the riches of his faith. You know what that does? That gives our life purpose and meaning. It gives us a goal something to work, work towards, and something to always seek to understand more and more of as God changes our lives and our minds for the better. See, a childlike faith says, God tells me in his word that Jesus is my only way to have him in my life and to be able to be in heaven with him someday. God tells me in his word that all I have to do is simply accept Jesus' death and res resurrection for myself, that he took my place to ask for his forgiveness of my sin, to turn from it, and to seek to please him with the rest of my life. It's that simple. God tells me that he is going to take care of me, that he's going to take care of my needs, and that he's always going to be with me, that he's, he's never going to stop loving me, and that I will be with him forever. So when God's word tells me, don't worry, don't be afraid, I will simply trust him like a child would a good earthly parent and know he's watching over me and know he's taking good care of me and stop complicating everything. Because there's no need for it and it's just destructive. So let go. Let go. Let go of complicating everything. Let go of fear and worry. Let go of thinking you have any control over any situation. 
Let go and simply trust your Father. That's the kind of life that God wants for you. He doesn't want the kind of life for you where you complicate everything and worry and fear over everything. He wants the kind of life for you where he's your father and you're simply being his child and knowing he's taking care of you. Jesus tells us over and over again, what good does worrying do for any of us? What good does, does worrying about anything do? None. No good. No good whatsoever. If anything, all worry does is destroy us. That's all worry does. The kind of life your father wants to give you is a childlike one. One where we don't fear anything because we know he's taking care of us. One where we know he's giving us the answers we need. One where we know he's working everything out for our good. So during this current crisis, <clears throat> and even when it settles down in the coming months, it doesn't matter what our fellow humans do, how good and sacrificial they are, or how selfish they go back to. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what any situation is, because they have no bearing or control over what our Father is doing. Do you think your situation is bigger than your Father? No. Not in any way. It makes itself out to be, but it never is. Your father is always bigger than any situation you're in. All God expects of us is to stop trying to add completely unnecessary things to the faith he's given to us as a gift and to just trust him as his child and enjoy that peace. When we were kids, it didn't matter how dark it got at night because we knew our parent was always in the next room, right? And if something, if anything happened, we knew they would know what to do. So we were able to rest easy. In the same way, it doesn't matter how dark and scary it gets in this world. We know that God is always right there next to us and even within us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We know that Jesus, the one who paid for our sins and our salvation, is seated right next to the Father, constantly interceding for us on our behalf. And we know our Father is watching over the entire world, and specifically over each one of us, over each one of his children. That's why Jesus could have the audacity to declare, don't worry about anything. Your father knows you so well and is watching over you so intently, he even knows how many hairs are on your head. You don't even know how many hairs are on your head. So why do you think you have any control over anything? All you need to do is have a simple and childlike trust in your father who's already orchestrating everything anyways. 
I want to close our message for this week with these powerful words of trusting God with everything in our lives. From Psalm 37, 4 through 6. Take delight in the Lord. Let him be your, all your source of enjoyment. Take a delight in the Lord. And when we do that, he will give us our heart's desires. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all of these promises you give to us in your word. Trust you. Know that you are in control over everything. Have that simple trust and that childlike faith in you. Not only for our salvation, but in every situation. And so, Lord, during this current national and local crisis, I pray that we would stop complicating everything. We would let all that go. And we would just put a simple childlike trust in you, knowing that you're taking care of us, you're watching over us. And no matter what, we will spend an eternity with you. And we thank you for that promise of hope, too. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus, our King and our Savior. Amen. Again, as this will be the last uh, video service I record uh, in an empty sanctuary, uh, and we'll be uh, joining together over at our ministry center, Ranch House property, uh, over on Belvedere Road on June 7th. Uh, I, I invite you all out to that. I, I hope that you will come out and, and join with us. Uh, but for, if there, for any reason you feel uncomfortable coming out to even that type of gathering, please do not feel pressured to do so. We completely understand during this difficult time. As we close out our time uh, this week, I, I want to remind everyone of God's faithfulness. We see it. We see it in our everyday lives. We see how he's been taking care of us and how he's providing for us. But there's always still... That, that temptation to worry, right? To wonder, well, maybe this will be the time when God doesn't come through for me. But we always have to remember, God's faithfulness towards us is infinite. His faithfulness towards us is not like human faithfulness. His, human faithful, his faithfulness towards us is infinite. It never fails. And so we can always worship him for that.
start our uh, drive-in vehicle services over at our, uh, at our secondary property. If you, again, if you are not able to make it, you're uncomfortable coming out to something like that still, we will still record, video record that service, and that will still go up on our website. So you can still continue to be connected to your church family. Brothers and sisters, as we start this upcoming week, remember, great is thy faithfulness. Your Father will never let you down. Nobody, not even yourself, can snatch you out of His hand. He is watching over you. He is taking care of you, providing for you. And someday, we know we will spend an eternity with Him. Go with that peace. Amen.